ABTV buddies. I've got Jenny Hogan on the show today. Jenny is a New York City-based writer and stand-up comic. She's a contributor for The New Yorker, The Atlantic, The Cut, The New York Times, Cosmopolitan, The Observer, McSweeney's, and Vulture. That is a mouthful. She's also written some sketches for Comedy Central. Forbes profiled her as a rising star, and she was on Pace list of top humorists. Her latest book, I'm More Dateable Than a Plate of Refried Beans, is available on Amazon. We talked about her stand-up, how she started getting her writing published, and Twitter. It's Jenny Hogan. It's a good one. Do you think that there's misconceptions about the audiences in the South? Well, I think I um, I was doing an hour-long set that I kind of have prepared, and there's not really that much I can adjust to uh-huh. based on the audience. Well, I was ready to just do my set kind of regardless of what the audiences were like. And I was a little bit nervous, but I was largely in very urban areas. And I, my set's not like extremely political. I make a few, like I take a few jabs at Trump, which feels very kind of like vanilla, um, Uh at least in New York city. So that went fine everywhere, except when I was in South Carolina, I thought I was doing a show in Charleston. I was actually doing a show in like this like rural town, like an hour and a half from Charleston. Okay. Well, that was a little bit, um, that was a little bit harder. Yeah. Uh, the guy ahead of me was like making um, references to like how he had never worn a mask and that kind of thing. <laughs> so uh, that audience was like a little bit more maybe like what my stereotype of the South was, but then everywhere else the audiences felt similar to what I would get like on the East coast. Yeah. I think I, I agree with that. I think the Metro areas are, are, are they're, they're not even necessarily liberal, but they at least listen and, and they don't take themselves so seriously. It's when you get into the more rural yeah. areas that uh, you, you get the folks that are hardcore. Are you in a city? Yeah, Huntsville is Huntsville actually is the biggest city in Alabama now. We passed up Birmingham last year. Yeah. Do you like living there? I do. Uh we moved down because uh, my son uh got a job for NASA about seven years ago and we just kept visiting and saying, Why don't we live here? And then uh after COVID was done, we were kind of fed up with Indiana and said, Okay, well, let's just do it. So we did it. Mm-hmm. yeah that's awesome yeah i mean it's a it's kind of a big little city there's no i wouldn't consider consider anything in uh alabama to be big but uh it's it's uh it's it's blue so that's that's cool mostly because everybody's transplants so that's yeah. everybody like they've got an fbi installation here now that's really big um all the um, defense contractors and stuff like that. Everybody come comes in from the coast mostly to take those jobs because of San, uh, the cost of living so low here. Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I wanted to sense. ask: did you did you start writing, um, or did you start stand up first? I started stand up first. Um, okay. I am more of a writer now, but I started in San Francisco, and in San Francisco, there's like not really any kind of like. I, I just didn't know anyone who was even really like big on social media. So really like the only thing that I knew was, um, was stand up. So I started stand up and I, I did stand up exclusively for about a year before I started writing for like various websites. Okay. Now did the, did the stand up like just open up your creative brain? Cause I know you were, you were an engineer before and, and did that just, 
like open the door for you to uh, start writing the satire and, and, and the great articles that you do? Yeah, totally. Stand up was like my first time doing anything like creative like that. I guess I did like speech and debate in high school, which was like public speaking, but uh-huh. um, it definitely kind of got me like thinking about jokes like a million um, times a day. So I would say in that sense, like stand up really like opened things up. And then writing is like a little bit better suited, I think, for my personality, just because I'm like a little bit introverted and I'm like a, an early bird and that kind of thing. So like uh-huh. I still do stand up. I love stand up, but um uh i writing like feels like kind of like a more natural fit yeah and i really like them both but you know when i get into your articles the the one you wrote about when you were in debate was was great i don't remember the title of that one um it's about about the senator isn't it yeah it's about josh holly and that one's not funny it's like very dark i'm I'm trying to write like darker things right and and contrast that with like um uh, non non mega Republicans for that you did for the New Yorker, which is you know it's funny and snarky and and uh, it really it, it, it's really just kind of a funny silly article and 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 the um, the one about debate and Josh was a lot more there was a lot more meat on that one. Yeah, yeah, it's very dark. Yeah, yeah. So first off, I have to say you're brave because I cyber stalk everybody I have on the show. Um, you're very brave to have your first stand-up set still on your YouTube. Is it still on my YouTube? Yeah. Oh, I should take it off. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I hid most of my YouTube like a little while ago. Yeah, um, that that one's still yeah. there. <laughs> okay, that's good to know. I'm going to hide it. Okay. <laughs> well, I'll tell you, it's not the worst it's not the worst first five minutes I've seen. So it, 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 you, you had a couple good ones in there. Yeah. I was really excited about like stand up right in the beginning. And I sent my first set to like everyone, like I put it online and like put it on my Facebook. Like I, I was not at all ashamed. And now I'm like, this is so embarrassing. I can't believe it's up there. Yeah. <laughs> what, what drew you to stand up? I, um, I had like kind of a lull at work and I thought that maybe it made sense to just like, um sorry is there like a lag with the internet okay no i I had a lull um i had a lull at work and i i just kind of wanted to do something different i worked in tech and i felt like everyone i knew worked in tech and stand up was my first time like meeting like kind of a new side of san francisco um and i took a class but i didn't really expect to like go further than the class like i was sort of like one of those yuppies that just like takes classes and like random things i find interesting Uh And then I just like fell in love with stand up and it became like, I just had to, um, I had to do it like constantly basically. Yeah. And San Francisco has got a really good scene. It really does. Yeah. 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 Did you, so you, you start doing the mics in San Francisco. Did you meet anybody that gave you some really great advice out of the, at the onset? Yeah. Well, I think that a lot of people gave me like, I think that I kind of, I can't really point to like one person who's given me like, who's been like my mentor, but I think that at every step, like there was like a different person sort of like guiding me to the next step. So like when I started doing comedy, like the first challenge was like going from open mics to like booked shows. So it was like how to get booked on shows and people like gave me advice on like getting a good tape and sending that tape to producers and that kind of thing. And like, um, I, yeah. So then like from there, I kind of, um, 
I kind of like moved on to doing book shows. And then once I started writing online, I reached out to other people who were also writing online who like gave me feedback on how to turn that into like getting a manager and running a book and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So um, from that perspective, it's been really good. Like I, I feel like I've always had people to kind of like ask for help as I went. Which mm-hmm. was really good. I've, I've heard that scene is really, it's really kind of a close knit scene and, and they, it's not as, it's not as hard on you as New York is. No, yeah, it's much warmer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Have you done a lot of stand up? Um, I've done it like uh, as a hobby for about six years. Yeah, yeah. So is there a good scene in Huntsville? Actually, there is, and uh, really, a couple guys built it up. Uh, Matthew Tate and Scott Eason are both here, and I can do an open mic. I think five nights a week. And uh, they've got a stand-up live, which I think is um, associated with Zanies. Oh, cool! One, one of the bigger, one of the bigger um, franchises, and uh, then they've got a couple smaller theaters and a lot of a lot of showcase shows. And then we're only a couple hours from Birmingham, not even not even two hours from Birmingham, and then Tuscaloosa is yeah. pretty close too. So there's it's pretty good scene. You see people from all three cities, no matter where you go. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. so thinking about your act, which I really like, it, it's funny cause you're about the same age as my daughter and it's, it's funny how my generation of people don't understand how your generation of people see the world. <laughs> You're, yeah. you're you're a lot more pragmatic about, pragmatic about it you know you really you, you kind of know what's going on and when I think of myself at your age I didn't know what was going on and you know I was just yeah. putting my head down and working and uh you you're a lot more informed you're and I know the internet has to do with that but you, you take the time to be informed and you understand the issues a lot more than I did at that age mm-hmm. yeah yeah um, do you feel like, um, like what, what do you feel like your generation was like not as well informed about? Um, you know, like, uh, politics, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the, the world situation. Um, and, and we, we also stamped a lot of stuff down. Yeah. You know, you, it, it, it was, I mean, you know, you're, you're, you're a woman and you know how hard it is now. It, you know, it was, it, it was e- even harder then. And, uh, you know, it's just, I, th- I think we, uh, and really that's what I'm turning my comedy around to be is kind of a, kind of a, hopefully a soft anti-boomer sentiment from a boomer. So that's what I'm, that's what I'm going for. And, uh, so it's, it's, uh, it's, kind of uh like we everything seemed good so we just lived our lives and didn't really look into what was going on in the country and in our neighbors our neighbors houses and stuff like that does that make yeah. sense yeah. yeah that makes a lot of sense yeah maybe that'll yeah. give you some material yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. so so, like I said, I really like your stand-up. How did you come to the stand-up persona that you are in st- that you have on stage now? Because I mean, you really got an hour pretty quickly. 
Oh, thank you. It doesn't feel that quick. It's been like six years. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, uh, I guess like, honestly, I worry that every year I'm like writing less stand up. Like I feel like my first year of stand up, I wrote like half an hour of jokes and obviously a lot of them are good and I don't tell them anymore. But, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I do feel like, um, like I just kind of, um, am always sort of, I used to just like really write like a ton of jokes and kind of like throw everything at the wall. And now it feels like new stuff I write has to like sort of fit in with like my existing standup persona. Um, that said, I try not to like be too attached to having one specific character on stage. So like I I'm telling my hour is like a chronological story of my twenties. And the nice thing is that like I go through like many different iterations of like people in my twenties. So like, there are times when I'm very loose and dating a ton of men. And then there are times where I'm like practically celibate and like I get sober and I get like a lot more serious. And so like all these like different jokes can kind of work in the same hour because it's like describing like how I'm changing as a person. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's like pretty helpful, I would say. Um, yeah. So, so in that sense, I don't feel like super attached to having like one persona on stage. I think in the beginning, I really just like wanted any joke I thought was funny i would just like put it in my in my set like it didn't mm. really have to like match any kind of um any kind of personality right yeah you've you've definitely got a theme that flows through and i i, I really i just really enjoy the honesty of it and the fact that you're just you're, you're really talking about you know your life and how how things have affected you and ju- just how people people your age think now and it it really it's it's helpful for somebody like me to watch that and then have a conversation with my kids who are Mm -hmm. about your age and and kind of understand where they're coming from oh interesting yeah that's good to know it's funny too because because your kids your kids don't talk don't talk about you know explicit sexual stuff uh, but Mm -hmm. they 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 talk about the other stuff you know the depression and 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 all that kind of stuff that is it's just uh, an epidemic these days so i i really yeah. i i think that that uh watching you made me understand my kids more oh that's really nice to hear yeah, <laughs> I yeah. Appreciate that. how many kids do you have two yeah just two, two. okay son two. and a daughter yeah yeah we're i mean we're the nuclear family you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> just don't have a dog anymore yeah <laughs> So you, you, you're doing the comedy and you start doing the writing. How did you sell yourself to these publications so that you could start getting published? Yeah, I mean, the pieces like are, at least at the New Yorker and McSweeney, they're fully written by the time that I pitched them. Mm-hmm. So um, so it's just a matter of, I don't feel, I didn't feel like I had to like give them any personal details about myself. They were just evaluating the, the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, for other publications that I'm like trying to, there that I had to that kind of was like a little bit slower to break into I had to like write out a pitch and then pass along other writing samples um it is like one of those like chicken and the egg problems where like you need some publications to get some publications and I think a lot of the times you have to like just kind of put stuff up on a medium blog um or else no one will ever um want to publish it on their website um but yeah honestly like I I didn't really have a plan when I started doing that. And I think that that's like for the best, because if I had known how hard it would be to like break in all these different publications, I like maybe never would have tried. But like, fortunately I did things just like generally like pretty slowly and like one at a time. And um, 
along the way. I like I I never was like, oh, this year I need to like, you know, get uh, this year I need to get published by like this publication or this uh-huh. publication or this publication. It was always just like, I you know, as I had a new idea, I would like look through my Twitter contacts to figure out who I could send it to and um, kind of like slowly like chipped away at it. Cool. And where, what magazine or, or website were you first published in? Um, the New Yorker. Oh, wow. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. So that was, um, and, but the New Yorker actually really had open, um, submissions, which I feel like, um, no one would expect, but they really did, which is crazy. Like anyone could, could submit to it. Man, who was reading all those? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. It took them like 10 months to get back to me, but um, now they get back like a little bit more in like a more timely way, which is good. Uh huh. Yeah. That's great. Now, I, I'm a guy who suffers from depression. And I, so I listened to your um, uh, episode on depression mode. And, oh, and, and it's, it's, First off, that guy, I think his name's Joe, a uh, great interviewer. And uh, he, you know, he, he does a really good job and he's very prepared. I'll never be like that. Um, <laughs> You're very prepared. Yeah, I, I, like to, I, I, I like the talk to be more spontaneous, but I just thought it was, it was really good that um, I, 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 I like that podcast. I'm going to listen to more because he, he comes at it at more of a matter of fact type way because people who suffer from depression, they don't need to know about all the sadness and stuff like that. Cause they already have it. So the, mm-hmm. you know, it's just how, how you get around it and the, the different stages and stuff like that. So I thought that was a really, uh, a really good hour of, uh, of, uh, of talk there. And, uh, I related to some of it. So I, I, I thought it was yeah. really good. Now yeah. you talk about the um the fact that the stand up really kind of fed into the fact that you were um getting into alcohol too much. Uh the drink tickets and stuff like that. Do you do you feel like that you could have had that same alcohol problem if you didn't do stand up? Um yeah, totally. I think it like really um it really like got exacerbated by standup, but I feel like I was kind of like already getting there. Um, because I, I think it was like, um, uh, I just like didn't want to be in my brain. And I uh-huh. feel like that could have really like turned into like an alcohol problem, like kind of regardless. Uh-huh. Um, I think that like the fact that I was like in bars every night, a big thing about standup is that it like made drinking feel productive, which I think is like when things kind of really started to like spin out of control. Um, so I do feel like maybe it would not have gotten as bad if I didn't do stand up, but I definitely think like the groundwork was kind of laid like before I started doing stand up. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I know that, you know, for me, I, you know, I, I still drink and when I perform or I go to a show, I always drink and, and it maybe light beer or something like that. It's not, you know, I don't drink heavily, but I always have a beer in my hand or mm-hmm. an old fashioned or something like that. And it, yeah. if I hadn't gone to the show, I definitely wouldn't be drinking because I don't just sit at home and drink. So, you know, yeah, you know, being a social drinker, that's, that, that's what it is. Um, so 
I kind of want to talk about Twitter because I mean, that's really your, was kind of your launching pad. How do you, how has Twitter changed since our buddy Elon took over for you? Not just Twitter in general, but um, are, are you getting as many likes and retweets and stuff like that that, that you did before? Um, I don't think I'm getting quite as many likes as before, which is like, could don't totally be me. My quality varies. Um, I, um, I lost a lot of followers, but now I think the following loss has like stabilized. So now I'm like gaining followers again, which is good. Um, because I need to always be getting new followers if I want more people to come to my standup shows. Um, so from that perspective, yeah, it's, um, it's been hard, but I think it's like, I think it's okay. I mean, like, he let Trump back on and Trump didn't start tweeting, which I guess is, like, something to do with his contract with Truth Social, but I think it's great. Like, <laughs> I don't know. I think it's, like, also kind of embarrassing for Elon that Trump doesn't even want to use his site, but, yeah. like, I feel like that's kind of kept people on, and I think a lot of people would leave if Trump, like, started, like, making it the new Truth Social. Uh-huh. Um, but the night, it's actually honestly been kind of nice to, like, get um, – get on these new platforms like i got on post and i got on um, mastodon and uh-huh. it's good i think to like just kind of like diversify a little bit um i think that on mastodon i've encountered some people who weren't um weren't following me on twitter so it is kind of like opening up a new a new potential fan base um yeah so from that perspective i'm like pretty i'm okay with it mm. and i i just wonder how many people are just starting twitter accounts just to see what's up or going yeah, to dormant yeah 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 i blocked elon musk on twitter because i just find him annoying and i like couldn't resist the urge to comment yeah when i was off. so i <laughs> yeah i don't even really know what he's saying <laughs> yeah it's nobody wants to know it's uh well some people do some people still think he's the second coming but you know whatever um so with Twitter being kind of your your main social media uh, app that the blew up for you more than any other, did that, before Elon and all that, did that translate into audience members for you? Yeah, I mean, I, I do my stand-up show hourly and, or monthly, and um, I think most of the people come from Twitter. Um, right. I sell like 60 tickets a month. Um, and so I, I don't know how many are from Twitter, but I do, I do have like a, um, a promo code that I, I put on all my social media platforms. And I think like over half the people who buy tickets buy it from my promo codes. Um, so yeah, it definitely does translate into ticket sales. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. I, I've, yeah. you know, I've talked to so many people that create content and it's, it's really kind of a mixed bag on if the content actually uh you know converts to to somebody in a chair you know um yeah and i think that people get more they get more involved with 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 pros with with you posting um actual words than like watching a heckler real or something like that or a TikTok or something like that. I mean, they see it, they think it's funny, but do they actually equate that to a person? Yeah, that's interesting because I would think a video would get like more, mm-hmm. but I think that it could be true that people feel like they're um 
yeah, like they're uh, seeing, like kind of getting to know me more because it's words. Yeah. They're more invested. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think that could definitely be true. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I'm just, I, I'm going off the rails here, <laughs> but I, I just, I, I'm thinking about I, all this stuff and I thought about it a lot today and I just, I'm just wondering, you know, I, I don't do a lot of social media myself. I just do it for the podcast and uh, really Instagram is my, my platform there. And I'm on Twitter. I post maybe once a month, but I found all these sub stacks through Twitter, you know, I, mm-hmm. yours, I probably subscribe to like 20 of them and it's, it's yeah. comedians and, um, uh, uh, writers and people like that. And I get so much from that, that sometimes I think that just because of that Twitter was worth it for me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it definitely like kind of leads you to find people who you can then find on other platforms. Are you, so you're a big fan of like the newsletters. Yeah. 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 That's how, that's how I uh, found you. And I, the funny thing is, is I really, I was reading the newsletters and I didn't equate you to being a standup until you started, until you started posting shows. And yeah. <laughs> I, 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 I thought of you as more of a writer, you know, just mo- more of an essayist. And, uh, and, and I, uh, um, and then I'm like, Oh yeah, she's, she's a, she, she's a comedian. So that's, that's when I reached out. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting what like people from different platforms think that I do because, um, like people on Twitter think of me as like a comic, but, um, I guess like people who read me in the New Yorker think of me as like a satire writer. And like, I don't, really think of myself as like one thing or the other but it's like or I guess I think of everything as kind of all the same and that I'm like a, a writer I guess um mm-hmm. but people will be like oh wow that's so interesting that you like also do stand-up where a stand-up like feels very relevant to um to what I'm doing as like a comedian so it's kind of or like what I'm doing as a writer so it kind of does feel like it's a little bit it's interesting to me when people are like very surprised to learn to like find that I'm like involved in one thing over another yeah yeah it's uh it's it's two totally different things although they overlap sometimes too and i i i I like that um you you get around the country pretty well who are you seeing as comedians that are really good out there now that are kind of unsung have have you run into any of them that just really you, you really liked but they're not quite getting the heat that they should have um, well, I don't, I think I don't really know a lot of comedians outside of New York and LA, except San Francisco, where I used to live. Mm-hmm. Uh, my friend Jeff Dean in San Francisco. So I think that you're, you're kind of referring to comedians who aren't in like one of the big cities yet. Yeah. Um, yeah, my friend Jeff Dean in San Francisco is really great. Um, my friend James Mora in San Francisco is really funny. Um, I love this woman, Holly Ballantine, who lives in Atlanta. Yeah, I know Holly. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, she's great. And then I, I did meet comedians on the road. Um, but it wasn't people I've like seen multiple times. Definitely people I thought were really good. But um, yeah, I think um, I think that most of the people I know though are in like New York and um, New York and Los Angeles because those are the places that I've like done the most stand up. Mm. Do you yeah. feel like there is a more even playing field for women in comedy than when you started? Do you think it's getting any better? Or do you think just kind of in a holding pattern? Um, I think maybe it's getting like a little bit better after me too. And that like women can kind of, um, 
like complain, I guess, when things are messed up. Or I shouldn't say complain, but like women have kind of like recourse when people like treat them badly. Uh-huh. Um, but that being said, like I feel like you can still look at like lineups of any um, any club, and it's like mostly men. So I wouldn't say that things have gotten like dramatically better for women. But I think then actually the other thing that's helped women is like social media because people can kind of find their own audiences. So uh-huh. like you don't need like a club to um to like approve you. Like you can just go and um and seek out an audience on your own. Yeah, I I I agree with that. I it's it's funny. I see all the posters and it's it's still a lot of clubs and a lot of promoters are, you know, you got the token woman, you got the um token uh uh LGBTQ and you, you got the, uh, uh, token, somebody from a different race. And, and it just seems to be kind of a, a, a circular motion of that. And it's, uh, uh, but other times, you know, the, the one thing I don't like, and I don't know how you feel about this is, is putting together a show and just saying, okay, it's, it's ladies night. It's all ladies. And just putting a whole bunch of women on the bill, whether they're funny or not and just filling it up like that and making theme shows i'm not a theme show type of person how how do you feel about that i am not opposed to them because i think that like there i think for an audience member like there are audience members who don't like to go to stand up because they think of it as like not going to represent them and people who aren't going to be like talking about their lives so I think that for like audience members who go to stand up shows and feel like it's all men all the time, they're like happy to see um, like a ladies night kind of thing. Um, that said, like, I do think it's like, yeah, like it, I, I don't want to be like a community who only does like women shows and that sort of thing. So I feel like it can be like, it's kind of like maybe better for the comics than it is for the performers almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but, um, but yeah, I, I'm not opposed. I don't run a show like that, but I feel like it is like, it's just kind of like a way to um, it's also like helpful just for marketing to like find the audiences who would like a show like that and kind of like make sure that people know that they're going to be like the kind of comics who would represent their lives. Mm-hmm. Just to stand up so like personal, like you want to make sure that it's like someone who's talking about. Yeah. Things yeah. That you relate to. Yeah, I agree with that. Let, let's get into joke writing because you your jokes are well they're not really jokes. They're your, your bits, uh, are, um, very well put together and very conversational and, you know, um, autobiographical, all all that kind of stuff. How, and you talk about trying to fit jokes into that persona and into what you already have. How has joke writing changed for you from when you started and how do you do it now? I honestly think I do most of my joke writing on Twitter. I feel like any like funny idea I have like originates on Twitter. Like I'll have a thought and I'll, I'll tweet it. And then I will um, see if I can turn it into a stand up joke or make a TikTok or something. TikTok actually is also kind of helpful for me just for like um, saying things out loud and seeing kind of how they can be spoken conversationally. Cause a lot of times stuff on Twitter like really doesn't translate to TikTok. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I would say that those are kind of like my main two two things um and then i sort of go like once i think it can be like said out loud i'll take it to like an open mic or to kind of like a more casual stand-up show um and then after that i'll yeah if it works i'll kind of like keep iterating it on on it i'll try it with different wording um just to kind of keep yeah keep exploring it 
to mm-hmm. keep sort of thinking that. Because sometimes, like, you have to find, like, something can be, like, a funny idea, and the challenge is to just, like, find the right format for the joke. Like, some things were meant to be, like, satire pieces. Like, some things were meant to be, um, uh, like, stand-up bits. Like, it's just kind of a matter of figuring out. Like, some things were only ever meant to exist on Twitter. So just sort of, like, playing around with different ways of, like, different places of putting a joke before kind of, like, deciding on where it should go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um... I had a thought and I think I lost it. That's all right. It'll come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so this this is a uh, part in the show. I, and I don't know if you got this because we because um, I had to reschedule you. But um, there, there's something I'm doing called Is This Anything? Um, and it's it's really caught on with uh, the people who listen. I get I've gotten more positive feedback about that than I've uh, gotten since I started a podcast. So it's actually uh, my new favorite part. Um, so basically what it is, you bring a premise, a bit, a joke, um, wh- whatever you've got, and we bounce it off each other and see if uh, see if it's anything or give each other tags. Do you got it? Do, mm-hmm. you, do you have anything lined up? Um, sure. Yeah. Okay. Um, and and really, you, you can choose you can choose um, if you go first or me too. So why don't you go first? Okay. I'm pretty proud of this one because I I I I was channeling you when I wrote it. Um, and <laughs> and uh, it's it was right after I read the article the the um, list of non mega Republicans. So I this, oh, nice. th- this is dedicated to that article. Um, boomers and Gen Xers, please stop asking your kids when they're g- going to give you grandbabies. Besides the fact that some people just don't want kids. Have you seen the world today? Uh, There's a good chance that your precious grandbaby may turn out to be the real-life Sarah O'Connor, saving the world from Elon Musk, Joel Osteen, and the disembodied head of Donald Trump mounted on a 20-foot-tall robot with gun arms. (laughs) Do you want it to be like a satire piece, like a full-length kind of... It's, New Yorker thing, or you want like a stand-up bit? It's more so. I'm writing it as a stand-up bit, um, and yeah. so I it it kind of weaves into everything that boomers have a problem with, like um, uh, self checkouts and stuff like that, and yeah, yeah, and yeah, yeah. just it's kind of a gentle rail again, maybe not that gentle rail against boomers and. You know, I, I've thought about writing pieces and stuff like that, but I've never taken the time to actually do it. I think it's really funny. I, I think maybe from, like, the opening sentence, it felt like more of a of an essay than a stand-up. Can you say it one more time? Yeah. And okay. I'm reading it because I've never said it out loud. So. Okay, maybe that's not, yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's really funny, yeah. <laughs> and that's probably why it sounds like a written piece. Yeah. <laughs> uh, boomers and Gen Xers, please stop asking your kids when they're going to give you grandbabies. Besides the fact that some people just don't want kids, have you seen the world today? There's a really good chance that your precious grandbaby may turn out to be a real-life Sarah Connor saving the world from Elon Musk, Joel Osteen, and the disembodied head of Donald Trump mounted on a 20-foot-tall robot with gun arms. Yeah, that's really funny. I think it's like, okay, so is the, I feel like it should be like more clear that the, the grandchild is going to go after things that they love. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. Because it doesn't, I just, I, I guess I'm not on board with the idea that boomers love like Elon Musk. Um, Mm -hmm. so like there are like, there's a, there's a real good chance. Like your grandchild is going to grow up to like be the one to, um, like, yeah, the idea of like, 
all the things that like boomers hate self-checkout, like your grandchild might grow up and like and invent a better version of self-checkout. Yeah. <laughs> like things that are like specifically like what what do boomers like really hate? Um yeah. your grandchild is gonna grow up and like tell you that what's like a television show that I don't know, what are things I don't know, like every everybody loves Raymond. I, I, that's <laughs> Yeah, your grandchild can grow up, watch everybody loves Raymond and not laugh once. Yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah i like yeah. that i like that and i i feel like i could maybe dig more into um if i went to sarah connor route i could dig more into that and how the world's getting to where it is and where it's going from here i think i don't know sarah connor okay there you go um terminator she yeah okay she, she was the the kid's mom in terminator i see okay, okay. yeah yeah see that's that's yeah. why it probably won't work because your generation doesn't know terminator okay yeah they, <laughs> there you go that's i gotta um, find something yeah, else like um your uh yeah um i'm looking at a buzzfeed article for things boomers love like your child your grandchild's gonna grow up and not have any idea what a floppy disk is uh -huh. <laughs> Well, and uh, know know what uh, what life was like without cable TV and yeah, yeah, yeah texting yeah. and smartphones yeah, and all yeah, that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, like before you pressure your kids to have kid to have their own kids, just keep in mind that in ten years there might be a child in front of you asking you what cable is. Yeah, <laughs> like that. Yeah, I like that. I'm uh, taking notes yeah. as I go. Great. Thank you. I And it was really good that I bounced this one off of you because if you don't know who Sarah Connor is, then that that's kind of a deal breaker because most of most of the audiences around here are about your age. So. Okay, there you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll, I, I may try it that way at a, at a mic one time and see uh, how many of my uh, peers actually know who she is. Honestly, I think I'm like more out of the loop like i don't follow pop culture very well so she could be like someone ever yeah else. and i'm the same i'm i'm an outlier as far as that's concerned because i'm not like in the marvel movies or anything like that and um mm -hmm. but terminator is one thing i know that's and mm -hmm. but you know what was that like 30 years ago when the first one came out yeah yeah, yeah. all right cool what you got for me okay um this one's based on like a tweet but like um something like i really want to find a partner and start a family because i read one time that like 70 percent of people on their deathbed say the most important things in life are love and family which does beg the question why are you taking a survey of people on their deathbeds <laughs> I like it's it. like kind of a one-liner so i don't know where i would go from there but yeah that's yeah I'm working on. yeah well you could you could really dig into what uh what what the whole love and family thing is and if you want to you know you know what does family mean these days you know and what what did it mean then yeah uh or maybe like maybe they probably they had to say family because their family was were the only people there yeah yeah <laughs> they were reading the room <laughs> yeah 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 that makes sense that's good yeah I, I i think you could definitely work with that 
Okay. And then I have one where I want to say, like, um, I would never describe myself as sexually active. There's nothing active about what I do when I'm having sex. Mm-hmm. Uh, I prefer the term sexually present. Uh, in fact, I spend most of the session being jealous of how many calories the guy is burning. <laughs> that's good. Yeah. Yeah. That's very good. Okay. Yeah. Exactly. I kind of, it kind of works sometimes, but it doesn't really like pop. So I feel like I either need to like come up with another tag. Or uh-huh. Now I've got, I've got one last question. You, you're, you're kind of an outlier and you don't get into pop culture so much. Are there any of the um, old timey comedians that that you've watched? Have, have you watched any of the older shows? Have any of them um, just uh, like put a light bulb above your head or whatever? Just uh, you really got into what they were doing and it kind of inspired you. I wish I could say that I watched a lot of old comedians, but I didn't. I was never really a stand-up fan before I started doing it. Maybe like uh-huh. Mitch Hedberg, like that kind of one-liner style. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, but I unfortunately I was not like a big comedy fan as a as a child, so I don't think I have like a comedian who really inspired me. I love like Dimitri Martin. I wouldn't say he's an old comedian, and I actually wouldn't really say his style inspires me, but. I do remember watching him like ten years ago and thinking it was like really cool what he was doing, just cool and different. Uh huh. Uh-huh. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. This is really fun. Thanks. Thanks for redoing, doing a redo for me. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I'm, no, I'm glad the equipment stayed together. Yeah. 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 Uh, um, where can uh, folks find you um, on all the socials and um, uh, maybe, maybe say a little bit about the book that came out too. Sure. Yeah. I'm Judy Hogan underscore on Twitter and Instagram. And then I'm Judy Hogan on TikTok. Um, the book is a humor book. It's like New Yorker style satire pieces about dating. It's like a fun, quick read. It, it follows the structure of a modern relationship um, and kind of points out like the absurdity of modern dating. It's called I'm more dateable than a plate of refried beans. I link to it on all my social media. So yeah, um, if you are interested, yeah, give it a read. Yeah, it sounds really good. Maybe I'll buy it and send it to my daughter. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I really appreciate that. I hope she likes it. Well, thanks so much for being on the show. This was great. Yeah, this is really fun.